really appreciate Steve and Kelly and Tanner and Brian and Janice uh, all participating and being part of our service this morning. Before we jump into the word, it's our practice. I always like to pray before we get started, so would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this morning. Jesus, we thank you for the good news that you are alive today, that you are at work in our world, that we can look to you, we can celebrate you. Lord, that you have uh, words of hope and life to speak to us in the midst of crisis, in the midst of uh, the pain and the suffering that we experience in our world. And today, Lord, we look to you. We pray you would work on our hearts. You would convict us, Holy Spirit. You would challenge us, uh, that you would encourage us, that you would grow us as your disciples and send us out, Lord, on mission to, to declare your truth and love and grace today. Lord, as we look at your, your word and look at uh, this week's question, we pray that you would, uh, you would speak, Lord. You would open hearts. Lord, if there's people who are listening today who have never made a confession of faith, they've never chosen to give you their lives, Lord, my prayer is that you would do a work and draw them to yourself today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This past week, we heard about the tragic news coming out of Nova Scotia, and I think for a lot of us, it was um, it's, it's just the shocking news of this shooting, and and to have it in the middle of this global pandemic just kind of seems like something else. When I was looking at the comments of people responding to uh, different videos about it online, the thought was like, really now, really, <laughs> you know, everything else is going on, we're doing this as well, and our hearts obviously go out to the the grieving families. But it made me reflect on this week's tough question, and it's, it's strange how these events kind of line up this way, but this, the tough question this week that I wanted us to tackle together was, if God is real and God is good, why do evil and suffering exist? And perhaps in the midst of this global pandemic, and especially as we think of um, our brothers and sisters in the Maritimes, who are grieving right now, and, and of course the ongoing evil and suffering in so many other areas in our world, it's all the more important that we ask this question, how can there be evil and suffering when we also proclaim as Christians that God is good? This is a, a philosophical and an intellectual issue on one hand, but uh, perhaps more deeply, it's an emotional issue. There's a pain that's associated with this very question. And so I wanna start there at the emotions. And we're going to look at the intellectual as well, but I want to start with the emotions. I want us to return to Luke 24. And I want you to think about this passage. Here the disciples are in the brokenness still of, of Good Friday. They don't yet know that Jesus has raised from the dead. And as we are in the season following Easter, we are grappling still with the, the truth of the risen Jesus and his victory over sin and death in a world where it still looks very broken. In their minds, Jesus is dead. They're grieving. They feel abandoned. They feel without hope. They feel that God has not done what they thought he should have done. And perhaps you felt this way. I know I have. Sometimes we're disappointed at how life has gone. We're disappointed in ourselves, perhaps. We're, maybe we're disappointed in other people. Sometimes we're disappointed in God. Or we start to think maybe he's not good. Maybe he doesn't care. 
maybe he isn't real at all. And with COVID-19 going on right now, we see, we see people feeling fearful and, and worried and anxious. And some have lost jobs. Some are, are suffering financially. They're, they're just afraid of getting sick or afraid of getting someone else sick. And we see also the, real, uh, the reality of human evil in this recent shooting. So where do we go for answers? And I think Luke 24 has a lot to say to us today. Um, it's one of my favorite passages of scripture. Here are the disciples in brokenness, in grief, in worry, uh, in anxiety. And Jesus comes up alongside them. And at first they don't even recognize who he is, but he is with them. And he initiates a conversation he initiates a relationship with them. He brings them comfort and hope as they talk. And it's his presence as they journey together that begins to make a difference in their lives. It's a little bit later when they're actually eating together. This is when they suddenly recognize Jesus. They recognize that it's God with us as they're breaking bread. So do you hear that today, folks, what, depending on where you are in life? And even as we think about this question, sometimes in our hurting, we don't recognize that God is with us, but he is with us. He is walking with us. And despite our present circumstances, the, the truth of the resurrection is still sure. Jesus is here. The risen Lord has come. So think and, and just reflect for a second on your own life. I think we're so often like these disciples, aren't we? We're, we're sad, maybe we're confused about how life has gone. And I just want you to think as we head into this passage, as we head into, um, into this week even coming, what's on your heart today? And whatever that is, whatever's been going on in your heart, in your life in the past while, whatever it is, Jesus comes into that very place and he wants to meet you there. Now, these disciples are, are scattered from the other disciples, much like we are, right? And yet Christ comes to bring his love and his presence and his grace to bear on them in their suffering. And what's really interesting is it's, it's the moment of discerning the body uh, broken and, and the blood in the meal that they see him, right? Think of it. It's, it's as Jesus is, is sort of breaking the bread and sharing the cup, they realize, oh my goodness, this is him. They see him in the communion meal. And in the communion meal, we're, we're remembering Christ's death. And so they see Jesus in their brokenness when they begin to remember that God has come and he has suffered for us. He has been broken for us. He has suffered. And it cost him a great deal. It cost him his own life to come and address the problem of evil and suffering in our world. That's the value that God has placed upon you. You are worth his life and his blood shed for you. So if you feel broken and, and burdened today, maybe by the problem of evil or the, the emptiness that life can feel or the guilt of your own sin, if you're feeling worthless or down because of being in self-isolation or maybe you're experiencing job insecurity, remember today that God sees you as worthy, as worth dying for, as worth uh, loving to the very end. And he invites you today into new life with him, into true and lasting peace. 
So despite all these circumstances where you may feel useless or, or powerless or worthless, Jesus has come and he is reconciling us to God. He comes alongside us even now today, right now, and speaks the truth about who you are in his eyes, about who he is and what he's done for us. He comes alongside us on the road of tears, and he comes with his love and his hope and his reassurance, his healing presence. This is the Christian response, one of the Christian responses to the problem of of evil and suffering. And I begin, as I did, with, with addressing sort of the emotional part of the question, because that's often where people are struggling with this. How can God allow this? And one of the truths that we cling to as Christians is, and we'll talk about how God could allow this in a moment, but that he is also so very present with us in our suffering. Now there's more to say, because this is an intellectual question as well, a philosophical question. As Christians, we hold to several truths, but there's three in particular that we might want to hold to when we're thinking about this question. We hold to the fact that God is good, that God loves us. Uh, We also hold to the fact that God is great. He is all-powerful. He can do whatever can be done. He is just and he is holy. So God is good and God is great. But we also believe that evil is very real and definitely does exist. And so the question is, if God is good and he is great, he can do something about it, why let evil persist? How can we hold these three things together? And often atheists will say it's, it's either impossible or, or just highly improbable to imagine God in this way. So what do we do? Well, people often address the problem in, in a several different ways. One way is just deny the existence of God. It just seems that we can't hold these together. If God is real and good, how is he just in allowing evil? If he's, if he's great, then surely he would destroy evil. But since evil is not destroyed, there must be no God. And this is where C.S. Lewis was for many years of his life. Because there was evil, he thought, there can be no God. But then he realized, if there is no God, then nothing can really be considered evil. So listen to Lewis's words. I'm going to read a a portion of of a letter he wrote from Mark Middleberg's book uh, in just a moment here. We'll go to that now. Here's the C.S. Lewis quote, and and I'm reading from uh, The Questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask uh, with Answers by Mark Middleberg. This is a great resource if you're interested in in these topics, this Tough Questions series. This is a, I'm drawing on Mark quite a bit, even to help think about what questions are the tough questions. Anyway, this is what C.S. Lewis says. Lewis had asked if, if a good God made the world, why has it gone wrong? And here's the answer he later gave. My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? If the whole show was bad and senseless from A to Z, so to speak, why did I, who was supposed to be part of the show, find myself in such violent reaction against it. Thus, in the very act of trying to prove that God did not exist, in other words, that the whole of reality was senseless, I found I was forced to assume that one part of reality, namely my idea of justice, 
was full of sense. Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. If the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning. Just as if there was no light in the universe and therefore no creatures with eyes, we would never know that it was dark. Dark would be without meaning. So Mark goes on to say here that ironically, the very problem that had caused C.S. Lewis to disbelieve in God ended up changing his mind and forcing him to see that there had to be a God, one who established the standard by which we inevitably know the judge and judge good and evil. This was a vital step in C.S. Lewis's fascinating journey towards faith in Christ. Another huge part of, of C.S. Lewis's coming to faith was through his friendship with J.R.R. Tolkien, who was the writer of Lord of the Rings, of course, and it was Tolkien who actually pointed Lewis to Jesus in the end. Uh, but here's the point. The reality of evil, rather than being an argument against God's existence, is an argument for God's existence. If you throw God and a moral standard of right and wrong, you have no way of articulating what is actually good or actually evil. And so I'd like us to, to, to look at this next uh, video clip. This is from Dr. Ravi Zacharias, and he covers the same point on how evil actually points to God as he answers the, the, the question, how does an all-powerful, all-loving God allow evil and suffering to exist? Take a look with me. Here's the first question from a student here in America. How can a God of all power and all love allow for evil in this world, especially if he knew in advance that the world would fall apart after he created it and we would have atrocities and the sickness and the suffering that we have? I think, John, this is the thorniest question, truly the one that probably most people ask. Uh, someone put it in these words, virtue in distress and vice in triumph has made atheists of mankind. Or what Alfred Lord Tennyson said, never more to morning war to evening, but that some heart did break. It is a, it is a painful question in itself because it deals with pain. Pain is a real thing. It's not an imaginary thing. There are many ways that one can approach an answer, but C.S. Lewis used to remind us that is critically important to examine the assumptions within a question. And I remember years ago at the University of Nottingham when I'd finished a talk when a person stood up, or a student stood up and shouted from the floor and he said, you know, there's too much of evil in this world. There can't be a God. There's too much of evil and suffering in this world. And the irony of that question to me was, you know, I come from the East. I now live in the West. I don't ever remember being asked this question in the East. Now they do because of all the cross-pollination of thinking and all of that. But it's hardly ever addressed. In Islam, you hardly ever find a book dealing with this subject. It's inshallah. It's the will of Allah, you know. And in the pantheistic system, it's karma. You're paying your debt and so on. It's in the Western world where we actually live with the greatest comforts that we raise the question about pain and suffering. But this Englishman raised it and I said to him, why don't I make it clear first why you are asking this question and what your assumptions are? I said, when you say there's evil, aren't you assuming there's such a thing as good? He paused and he said, uh, yes. 
I said, when you say there's such a thing as good, aren't you assuming there's such a thing as a moral law on the basis of which to differentiate between good and evil? He struggled with this and we interacted and finally he said, yeah, there would have to be an objective moral standard from which to dis- differentiate between good and evil. I said, when you say there's a moral law, you must posit a moral law giver, but that's whom you're trying to disprove and not prove because if there's no moral law giver, there's no moral law. If there's no moral law, there's no good. If there's no good, there's no evil. Uh, what is your question? and he looked at me, paused, and he said, what then am I asking you? Now, this was years ago. I said, I know what you're asking, man. I'm not trying to make it hard for you. It's an existentially felt question that often doesn't examine the logical presuppositions within this. God has to remain in the paradigm for the question to be real, and therefore the answer has to come from what God's purposes and God, God's description is all about reality. In a recent book that I co-authored with Vince Vitale, my colleague from Oxford, we called it Wise Suffering. My opening chapter was what is called the trilemma. God is all-powerful, God is all-loving, and there is evil. That's the trilemma. The three realities that J.L. Mackey, the Australian philosopher, says are incoherent. God is all-powerful, God is loving, evil exists. He says it's an incoherence. So my question is, why is it a trilemma and not a quadrilemma or a quintilemma? Introduce one more. God is all-knowing. That's also a belief we have. And number five, God is eternal. God is not judging everything just in time. There's an eternity. So it's not just the, the, the question is stacked when it's stacked as a trilemma. God is also all-knowing and eternity also exists as a reality. And maybe those explanations can come in eternity. Let me just move to two quick answers in this. Mm-hmm. There's a young gal in Georgia where I live. I live in Atlanta. And uh, she, uh, her first name is uh, Ashlyn. And uh, one day her mother was on a television program discussing a strange problem that she has, which is called SIPA, congenital insensitivity to pain with anhydrosis. She cannot feel pain and her sweat glands don't work. The problem may sound good. You don't feel any pain. But the reality is if she steps on a nail while she's on the sports field, it could puncture the skin, create an infection, and nobody could be even aware of it. The mother said the problems it has created in her life for what this malady brings into her body. She says, I pray one prayer every night. God, please let my daughter help to feel pain. She could put her hand on a burner and not know that her hand is burning. Now, my question is this. If in our finite existence, we can see the role of pain to warn us that something is wrong, is it impossible for God in his infinite wisdom to allow pain in our lives to help us know that something is wrong. Pain is spelt with moral connotations in the human framework. That is because we are moral beings. Therefore, the answer has to come from within a moral spiritual framework as well. The question assumes moral reasoning, and that can only be assumed if God is in the paradigm, not not outside of it. So it may seem that the only way way that we can deal with this problem at first is to either deny God or maybe downplay evil and say it's not evil or to deify evil and say it's just part of God. It's in the pantheistic system. It's just part of of, um, 
the sort of the thing we're going to merge with at the end. It's not really, or we deny evil entirely, but rather we see that our knowing here that evil is indeed evil points us to the fact that we live in a world with a moral law, which means there must be a moral law giver upon which we look to differentiate what is good and what is evil. And so in terms of the intellectual argument, if there is such a thing as evil, there must also be such a thing as good. And the way we differentiate between the two is that we can look to the moral law giver who helps us to discern what is objectively good and objectively evil. And so in this way, the reality of evil actually points us to God, not away from him. And Dr. Ravi Zacharias made that point quite clear in his video. The reality that we can say this evil is evil is actually needs God to be in the picture to actually say that. Otherwise, it's just an inconvenience to us that we don't agree that someone's done this. But we can't actually say it's evil. Again, that's the intellectual response. You can walk through those steps, and, and sometimes that's helpful. Um, but at the end of the day, this is largely an emotional issue because then you have to say, if God is good and great and evil does exist, as Ravi suggested, you can add a couple other propositions to make sense of that. Um, one thing Dr. William Lane Craig points out is that you could add the proposition um, that God has morally justifiable reasons to allow evil to exist for a season. And if that's even remotely possible, that God could be morally justified in allowing that, then, um, then, then there is no contradiction here in terms of the logic of the argument. But of course, there is an emotional response here. And so how do we deal with um, when we are in the midst of suffering, we can't imagine why God would allow something to happen. Um, when our friends are in the midst of suffering, uh, we look around the world around us. Let's, let's go back to some of those emotional questions and, and maybe just acknowledge a couple things and then talk a little bit about how we can be, be a light to our friends about this topic. We started with Jesus in Luke 24 coming alongside us. And I think this is crucial for us to remember as Christians. God is not at a distance sort of observing the world absent-mindedly. God does not just wound the world up like a clock and stepped back and now is removed. But instead, God has entered human history and has suffered along with us. Not just along with us, but for us. And so the problem of suffering is framed in a different sort of perspective when we remember Jesus has suffered for us. He has taken the sins of the world upon himself, the guilt that you and I share. He has taken that upon himself and he has come out the other end. And so we, as we look to Jesus, we can bear the suffering and the evil that we face with courage, knowing that Christ continues to give us strength as we go through suffering. And as we, uh, in this life, look with assurance at the life to come because of the cross. And so, so the first thing, that's the first thing to say, is, is God suffers, has suffered with us, alongside of us. We're not alone in it. Uh, the other thing I, I would really want to say is that Jesus acknowledges the reality of evil. He tells us in John sixteen thirty three, in this world you will have trial and sorrow. So Jesus doesn't sugarcoat this issue. He's really honest about evil. He's really honest about the fact that it will be difficult. Suffering will be experienced. But as we also saw in Luke 24, he doesn't abandon us to this. He comes alongside us in it 
for the season that it endures because there's there's a greater good that he is working out he also says in john 16 33 take heart i have overcome the world so as much as we may experience suffering or we experience evil in our lives as we look to jesus we can gain courage knowing he is with us in the midst of it and he has gone before us through the suffering through death itself and into eternal life and offers us a way forward through death itself so that even death is not the end for us. So Jesus acknowledges the trouble we'll experience. The second thing to note is God did not create or cause evil. God creates human beings who can freely choose to love him. And that means he gives us the capacity to be free agents, to have free will. I'm often telling Rowan this. You can choose to do this. When you do this thing that we don't want you to do, he goes, well, I can't choose. I'm like, no, no, you can choose. You chose to do the thing we asked you not to do. And you can choose now to not do the thing. <laughs> I'm trying, to, trying to get that across to him. I love you, buddy. Um, but inherent in the capacity to choose to love God is also the ability to choose not to love God, not to follow him. And that's the choice made by Adam and Eve. And it's the choice that's been repeated all down through human history. The ability to love always also entails the ability not to love. And if we didn't have the ability not to love, we would just be like robots or, or um, um, puppets, right? We'd be incapable of actually expressing love. Love by definition, but real love can't be forced. If it's forced, it's not love. It's something else, right? It's, real love is always freely chosen. And that means that while God did not create evil, he did create us as free beings who could choose to love him, to be in relationship with him. But in order, uh, by doing that, God has therefore thus created the potential for us to turn away from him and the potential therefore for us to commit acts of evil. And so we are the ones who have unfortunately actualized the potential for the world to fall and for us to choose evil. Now you might say, if God knew this would happen, why would he proceed, right? If he knew that such evil and suffering could come, why would he choose to go ahead with it? The truth is God's heart is for us to come freely to him. And so in his choosing and allowing a world where suffering can exist, he is also morally justified in his ability to create a world where the maximum amount of people will come to salvation and freedom in him. Otherwise, if we're just puppets or computers uh, or robots, we don't actually have a real relationship with him. It's only as we have free will and freedom to choose him that we can actually come into a real loving relationship with him. But if, if that's stripped away from us, um, it's not true. But in the, in the potential to get, uh, be in relationship, a loving relationship with us, God also opens up the potential for us to say no. I think about um, even in a marriage or, or in parenting, the, 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 the amount in which we love our spouses or love our kids opens us up to suffering. Um, I love Sarah very, very much, but the day will come when uh, one of us will likely go before the other, and we will, because we have loved each other, open ourselves to immense suffering because of the, that passing. 
Um, so the ability to love, the, as we open ourselves to love, we open ourselves up to suffering. Um, in the same way, the brokenness in our world, uh, the evil in our world, is more often than not the result of us choosing not to live for God, choosing to resist him, choosing not to love him, and choosing to live for ourselves. And of course, that's what's happening in the Genesis passage is, as uh, they take uh, from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they're saying, we're not going to let God decide what's good and evil. We're going to decide good and evil for ourselves. And that's that subjective moral reasoning. And as we do that, it leads to all sorts of brokenness and bloodshed and violence. And that's Genesis paints that picture of humanity so clear for us. And that, that brings me to the next point, is that the cause of most suffering in the world is, is humans. Middleburg suggests that 90% of human suffering is caused by humans, right? Our wars, our genocide, our human trafficking, our, our murder, our, d- our domestic abuse, etc. And again, if there's so much evil, why doesn't God just stop it? But here's the issue. Stopping such an evil in a fallen world would entail taking away human freedom. And we, to agree now, are actively participating in the evil that must be stopped. And so God has to find a way to deal with the evil while also keeping our free will intact and then having justice done by having a human be the one to bear the guilt. And so he does all of this without destroying us through Jesus. See, God loves us so much, he won't just annihilate us, right? Um, He will actually, he's actually found a way, an amazing way for himself to come incarnate as a human to be the one to to bear the price for our sins, but to also be the innocent sacrificial lamb to cover our sins and that the, therefore our sins are removed and washed away. It's amazing. And so you say, why hasn't God, why doesn't God deal with the evil? The truth is he has, and he ultimately will bring it to an end. He will finally judge and vanquish evil. Yeah. He, but he's incredibly patient because you got to think the people who are committing evil acts are people God actually loves. It's easy for us to just think these are just terrible people and like, get them out of here, right? But God is so patient that he's willing to give even the worst sinner the room to come to repentance. Exodus 34, 6 and 7 says this, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. And you see there God's mercy towards us as we repent and turn to him, but also his, his justness and his holiness to deal with true evil and suffering in the world. We might say, well, why is God so slow to anger? But 2 Peter 3, 9 tells us God is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So God's slowness in dealing with evil is based in his desire, again, for the maximum amount of people to come freely to a saving relationship with him rather than to perish apart from him. And and again, when we are in the midst of true evil and suffering, we know God in his goodness is present with us. He has come and suffered with us. Jesus has suffered in ways none of us will ever completely understand. Philippians 2, 6 and 8 says, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Hebrews 2.18 explains that Jesus has suffered with us, says he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are tested. And we also see in the Bible, God has the ability not to just let evil run rampant. Um, it's like it's, he says this far, but no further. Um, and, and he has the ability to actually take the brokenness and suffering we experience and actually transform it into something that brings good. It doesn't mean the evil is good, but it means God can take the results of that and actually bring, bring life to bear. And we see this, this is what Joseph claims in Genesis, where his brother is meant to sell him into slavery, right? As this, as this act of, of hatred and jealousy against him. God actually takes Joseph's suffering and the situation of vitriol between his, his, uh, of his brothers and and actually uses it in Egypt to bring about the salvation of his family through from the famine right so what god what 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 the brothers meant for evil god has taken and used for his good god can take the brokenness of our pasts and use it to deepen our character and to reshape our lives and to to grab our attention and to lead us to himself we may not see how all the goods and evils of today uh, what they mean and so our final clip today, I wanted to share this with you, comes from Bishop Robert Barron. He's talking about the 2011 tsunami in Japan, and he'll hear him mention, mention that uh, regarding Japan uh, in the video. But he's talking about how, how we don't quite always see what God's, what God's doing. We'll see what happens. So let's watch that clip as we head now to the end. Okay, let me uh, put a, a, a kind of final broad uh, perspective on this. We say God allows evil to bring about a greater good. There's a famous story in the Chinese tradition um, that speaks of a farmer. And the uh, farmer has a horse that has run away. His friends come and they uh, commiserate with him on the loss of his horse. He says, we'll see. A week later, that horse returns with three other horses that he's brought back to the farm. His friends come and they say, how wonderful, what good luck. These new horses have come. He says, we'll see. His son gets on one of the new horses and rides around and falls off and breaks his leg. The friends come back and they say, how terrible, what terrible luck you've had. He says, we'll see. A week later, the officials from the government come to draft the son into the army. They discover he has a broken leg. They won't draft him. The friends come back and say, well, congratulations, what good luck. He says, we'll see. And the story goes on in that vein, making a simple but I think very penetrating point that it's next to impossible for us ever to read the full consequences of an act or an event. What appears to us to be simply good or simply evil given the way things unfold, is never all that clear. So, people of faith look at the world. Now, people of faith, I mean people that believe in God and believe in a life that stretches, yes, even beyond this one. We look at the goods and evils of this world and we say, well, what does it all mean? We'll see. We'll see what the effects of even this terrible event in Japan are 
and we'll see in light of God's ultimate providence of the universe. We may not see how COVID-19 could be used for God's glory. And we, I mean, I have some pretty good ideas. I think he's, he's calling us to repentance. I think he's slowing us down. He's causing us to have to pay attention to our own lives, realize we're not as self-sufficient as we often like to think we are. Um, and I mean, that's part of it. Obviously, the deaths are terrible. They are tragic. Um, we don't celebrate that, but God is using the brokenness and suffering to have people, people will, will, are beginning to ask big questions and wondering what's going on and, and looking to God, wondering what God is doing, and that's good. Um, but we can trust as believers that God is good, he is great, and though he may permit evil, some evil, for a season, he will eventually end it once and for all. Um, in this world, we will have trouble, but we also know Jesus comes and walks alongside us. He has entered into human suffering and entered into the, the evil we experienced, and he is present to help in time of need. Psalm thirty-four, eighteen says, God is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So how do we summarize this, this question? We believe God is good. We believe he's great. We also believe in the reality of evil. Evil is actually evil. We don't downplay evil and we don't deny God's existence. We hold those things in tension as Christians. However, we would say with intellectually, without God, there is no way to actually call evil evil. The fact that we say a thing is morally evil points to the reality of God's existence. It presupposes that good and evil exist. And therefore, there's an objective moral law, which means there's also a moral law giver. And so evil is not created by God. He gives us the choice to love him. Much of the suffering in our world is because of, of human, humans hurting each other. And, and sin also affects creation, right? So even natural disasters occur because we live in a world that is fallen. Uh, and it's waiting to be restored and God has intended it to be restored. As Romans 8 and Revelation 21, 22 are all about that. God has promised a, a, a place that will be without suffering, and he promises to judge evil, to create all things new. In the meantime, he's patient for those that do not yet know him, and he knows about our suffering. He is present with us in the midst of it, and because of Jesus, who has lived through unimaginable suffering, we can, we can cling to him when we feel lost and broken in our own, in our own lives. Just a few quick points if you're talking to someone and they're in the middle of working through this question. Um, first thing to remember is a lot of people, when they're suffering with, with pain and evil in, in the world, um, they're asking for empathy and for care. They're, they, they don't need the intellectual argument in the middle of their suffering. That is not probably going to be helpful. Um, but come alongside people with love first, just like Jesus did. Be present to them. Be in relationship with them. Pray for wisdom, pray for discernment. Again, be, be slow to speak, be quick to listen. Um, it's okay to admit that we don't know why God would allow such a thing to happen. Um, we don't know the answers to a person's questions. You don't need to, don't feel troubled if a person says, I, I, I'm mad at God, I can't believe he's real. I'm, I'm, you know, they have strong feelings about faith. That's okay while they're in the midst of suffering, that's okay. 
Um, we don't want to just give pat answer cliches, right? Eugene Peterson tells the story of being at a funeral and the pastor who was doing the funeral kind of came up to him afterwards. I think it was a family member Eugene was talking about. I can't recall exactly, but kind of came up to Eugene afterwards, didn't really know what to say and kind of gave him a pat answer cliche. And Eugene just felt kind of the air kind of come out of him. And, and he, he says in that story, I hope I never say that at a funeral. I hope I never say the sort of the trite cliches. I don't want to be dismissive. Instead, as Christians, we want to be real and caring and acknowledge that evil and calamity do indeed touch our lives, but that God is also present with us and he will bring evil to an end. He was present with us in the suffering and he is working out good even in the midst of our brokenness and in the evil of our world. Um, it's okay to pray out loud with your friends. That's also a good idea. Don't say more than you know. Admit in your prayer that you don't know, right? Ask God for help and wisdom and hope in the struggle. Keep it brief. Uh, keep it to the point. You know, just be present to people as they're working, you know, as if they're in the midst of suffering through something. Um, Ross Hastings, who was my uh, pastoral theology prophet, region, actually, I think I got this quote from him. Um, he said 90% of pastoral care is showing up, right? It's, it's, it's about being present to people, um, caring, actually caring and loving our neighbors well as they are in the midst of suffering, as they're in the midst of crisis. Um, we can be like Jesus to our friends and be full of grace and truth and, and point, point them to God. And as we do that, we are, we are living out uh, what God calls us to live out. As, we, as Christ has come alongside us in our brokenness, we can, we can live alongside people as they're walking through this issue and know that um, as we come to Christ, as we give our lives to him, God does tell us all will indeed be made well. And the Bible gives us a, a clear uh, overarching viewpoint of, of where evil and suffering are happening in the world and what God's going to do with it at the end. It actually, uh, the Christian theism, Christian worldview actually uh, has the answers for this question and holds it together well. It doesn't eliminate the emotional problem. And that's where the emotional problem requires us to be full of love and grace and come alongside people in their brokenness and also to reach out for help when we are the ones suffering. Uh, so that tackles the, the question of the problem of evil. If God is good, why does he let evil exist? I hope some of that's been helpful for you today. What I'd like to do is, is just close us in prayer. Uh, let's, let's pray together. Lord, I, I thank you that you are so aware of the evil and suffering in our world. As we heard in our psalm passage at the beginning of this service, that you, uh, in the moments where we feel uh, death surrounding us, where we feel gripped by evil, you are present. Uh, psalm 23, as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because you are with us. It doesn't mean that evil's not there. It just means the, the power has been taken out of it. We don't fear evil because you, Lord, are present with us. And Lord, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would come and fill us with such an assurance of your goodness and your grace and your life today that the fears and the anxieties and the worries of the future and of the present would lose the air out of them, Lord. Lose their power. Lord, we don't look to... Uh, to the, the systems around us for our identity, our strength, or our life. Lord, we look to you today and we thank you that you are good and alive and at work in our world. Jesus, we thank you that you're present with those who are suffering. 
Lord, we pray for an end to the suffering. We pray for you to come and to set things to right. Lord, we continue to pray for our country and our world, our province, our city, all the leadership involved as they're making decisions around this pandemic. Lord, have mercy upon them. Give them wisdom. Jesus, for everyone listening today and watching today, we have all encountered a measure of suffering in our own lives. And Lord, we look to you. We ask you to come and be so present and near to us, just as you came alongside the disciples in Luke 24, in their grief, in their questions, in their sorrowing, in their brokenness. You came with them. They didn't even recognize you, Lord. And yet you were present to them, bringing them hope, teaching, showing the truth. Lord, I pray for some of us, we need to get our eyes lifted off of ourselves and look to you, look to the truth. And Lord, I thank you that we can ask the tough questions. I thank you that your word speaks truth, that there are answers, Lord, to these questions. I pray for those who are maybe still struggling with this question. Maybe it still hits an emotional chord that you would um, help them, Lord, to, uh, to, to seek you, to seek your face. Um, to find the resources that are helpful and good so they can begin to walk this out well. Lord, we recognize even as we talk about suffering and evil, we are part of the problem. And we thank you, Jesus, that you came to save us. You came to save me. I'm part of the problem. I think of Paul who says, I'm the worst of sinners. I've contributed to the problem. I've, I've allowed for the murder of fellow Christians now. And God, you came and saved him. Lord, you can save all of us. And that's your heart's desire. You allow evil to exist for a time, but in that you cause us to see you. You begin to point us towards you. You, you begin to point us to yourself and you give opportunity, Lord, for us as believers to come alongside those and, and through our lives point people to you, Jesus. So would you help us to do that? Help us to live out our lives for you. Help us to love you and put you first and to love our neighbors just as much as we love ourselves, if not more. Lord, I thank you for my church family. I thank you that we can still connect online even through this difficult time. I pray you would bless each one. Lord, bless their homes. Um, bless their hearts and minds. Give them a sense of your peace and your grace today. Um, Lord, we just look to you and we thank you for your great love for us. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Folks, uh, just a couple of quick announcements at this point in the service. Thank you so much again for, for coming, being part of this, watching, sharing it, liking it. Um, we've had a lot of views, more than we ever thought we would on, the, on these. So um, thank you for sharing it, getting it out there. I hope people are encouraged. Um, thank you again for giving. Um, the ways to give, I think, show up in the roll around at the beginning of the service. Um, you can mail mail in your, your offerings if you want. Uh, you can also e-transfer or, or go through Canada Helps to donate. But we've just seen our donations continue, and it's really encouraging. So thank you for giving even during a difficult time. We so appreciate that. Uh, we had a board meeting um, just this week, and I think the board was just so encouraged to see uh, how the numbers kind of were looking. And so thank you guys for giving to the ministry and mission of the church. Um, of course, we look forward to the day when we can all gather together again. But for now, this is this is what we're doing. And I think it's been okay. Um, so the other thing to, just to mention is, is to continue to connect with each other. Um, we are seeking to, to phone through or connect through our, our, our um, 
our phone list of households, our pastoral team and a few others are helping out with that. So you, you probably have received a call uh, or, or two um, if you're kind of a regular part of the church and you're on that list. And we just want to care well for each other and connect, make sure we're doing okay. The other thing, again, is just encourage you to come. We'll have prayer tonight at 730. Uh, encourage you to come be part of it. Wednesday night Bible study where we follow up on what we've talked about uh, at Sunday, uh, on the Sunday message. So um, so this week we're going to be talking more about the problem of good and evil, or the, the problem of evil and suffering in the world. So uh, I really encourage you to join in. Um, if you don't have a computer or a smartphone to video call in, you can still phone in just right with any regular old phone and be part of the conversation. And so that'd be great. Um, that's through Google Hangouts Meet or just Google Meet. Um, so yeah, continue to engage. And, and Brian's got uh, youth discipleship and, and youth activity Tuesday and Fridays too. So uh, there's still lots going on and just encourage you guys to not uh, let your time with Jesus slide. Make him a priority during this time. Make, um, make, Pressing in as a disciple, a priority, then um, we'll just continue to uh, to grow together in Him. So, friends, as you go, receive this benediction. Children of God, who are loved and forgiven by our Lord Jesus Christ, may you have patience and grace. May you rely on Jesus in the midst of the suffering in your life. May you have courage to face the sorrow that, that is, has come along your path because Christ has gone ahead of you and has endured it and now walks alongside of you. May you have hearts full of compassion for those that are suffering, those that are experiencing pain today. And may you have hearts tuned to the sense of mercy and justice of God, his holiness and his goodness to be lights for Christ in a broken world. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Bless you guys. We love you. We'll see you next week.